David Rocha. I used to be a secular rap artist by the name of Sir Dino. Um, my music was very violent. My life was very violent. And it was a, like the pastor said, I was used as, a, as I, to me, now looking back, and it's like a, as a bulldozer for the enemy. And I influenced this city directly. There was a record store here, I don't know if it still exists, that sold a lot of my music here. And my music spread nothing but hate. And um, so when I came to the Lord, I didn't, I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to give testimony. I wanted to just be at church with my family and just serve God. And God was like, no. No, you, you caused too much. You're going to get back out there. And you're going to dismantle what you put together. Yeah. And um, because of that, it's interesting that today's sermon, what I wanted to talk about was actually the title, Demolishing the Enemy Strongholds. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Get on, sit down. So Peter is sending a warning. Peter, the one that denied Jesus three times, Peter, that became a pillar of the church, is writing to the church now, and he says, be sober and vigilant. In other words, be alert. Don't, don't, don't be, um, and it's not simply only talking about alcohol. Just be sober, be, be acute, be on it, be on top, be on point. Be vigilant, watching your back. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You get tired, I get tired. I get hungry, I get bored, I get lazy. Sometimes I want to watch Netflix. You know what? Satan doesn't sit and watch Netflix. Satan doesn't go and go to sleep. Satan doesn't get hungry. With the time that we're down on downtime, he's on uptime trying to attack us, trying to figure out how he can destroy your marriage, destroy your children, destroy your job, destroy your life. He's roaring about, roaming about, roaring like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We can, if we, somebody read that verse, I'd be like, man, then, then there's no chance. He's, he's going to get me. I can't fight a lion. But the Bible doesn't end there. The scripture doesn't end there. You know, and, and, and it's like, this might sound like bad news, but wait till the end of the sermon. But the enemy has taken over Visalia. He's roared about, especially this oval park here, and seeking and devouring lives. Have people walking around full of heroin, walking around full of meth. People that you knew, you grew up with, maybe in your family, now they're not the same anymore. The enemy has came and devoured that person. Completely, they lost their job, lost their wife, lost their children, lost everything, lost their dignity, lost their self-respect. And the enemy has came and claimed Visalia. You know, did you know, like, the city of Jerusalem is the city of God, right? We know that. In the, in, in the, in the real sense, in the spiritual sense. We watch the news. I mean, there's fights over Jerusalem that's been going on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Jerusalem is known as the city of God. The city of David. But it wasn't always so. Did you guys know that? In other words, this is what I'm saying. Jerusalem was not built by Israel. Jerusalem was already there. 
This is, an, this is a really, really important thing because here's why. Sometimes we make the mistake of seeing our church as a city we're building when really all it is is our army encampment. See, when, we, when, when soldiers, when Marines and the army go to Iraq, they don't build a base and say, oh, we won because we took over this little place. No, that's just their place of strategy. Is this where you guys meet in this building? This is your place of strategy. But it doesn't end there. The soldiers keep coming. They keep coming. But this is a place of strategy. This is a place of recuperation. This is a place of rest. And then you send them back out to the front lines. So Jerusalem was already there. It was already a big city. It was already a huge fortress. It was already inhabited by people, but not people that were the people of God. So King David becomes king, that young shepherd boy, the one that that killed the lion, the one that killed the bear, the, the one that killed Goliath. He becomes king, and he realizes all of Israel now belongs to him. But he says, man, I would really like Jerusalem. If we go to second, first, second Samuel, I'm sorry. If we go to 2 Samuel, chapter 5, I believe. Yeah. I don't really know where I'm going with this because this one, the Lord gave me this when I was sitting right there. So I, didn't, I was trying to read it real quick. If you saw me grab my Bible. Let's see where it goes, right? I'm telling you, man. Uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus is always the senior pastor of the church. And this is his pulpit. We're just his servants. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6 says, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here. But the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David, and David built all around from the Milo and inward. So David comes, the Jebusites are there, and he says, whoever will go and penetrate through the walls will be my chief and my captain. I truly believe that God is saying the same thing today. This is the... This is the this is the army encampment. Praise chapels, the army encampment. God has placed you here behind enemy lines. He has placed you behind enemy lines. And he's saying, who is willing to stand up in Visalia? Who is willing to take this city for me? Who is willing? God is saying, I will make you chief and captain. Not that titles are important. But he's saying, who is going to do it? You know, I, I, it's like, I, 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 I don't know the whole story of the pastor. I don't know the whole story of, of Pastor James sending, sending the pastor out here. I don't know. But I do know that 
Many times God will do something, and then what happens is God will, will place you there, put you there, and many times God will send other people to encourage you. And I believe that's why I'm here, as an encouragement. As an encouragement to say, you know what? You guys got to take this city. Because the enemy has had it far too long. Way too long. In um, 2 Corinthians, I use a lot of Bibles, though. I'm not going to apologize for that. I just do. (laughs) You don't have to go to it. But I am going to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 5. It says this. Paul is talking. And he's talking to the city of Corinth. You know, the city of Corinth was a corrupt city. It was like Vegas and San Francisco put together. Because it was a port town. All it was was about a lot of ships landing on this side of Corinth and ships going that way. That way, a lot of, uh, it was a trade route. So there was a lot of single men going through the city. So when you have a lot of single men going through the city, you have a lot of stuff because men have a lot of vices. So it was just a very, very corrupt city. And Paul is saying, you know what? We're going to start a church in Corinth. See, the Christian church is doing something really strange the past few decades. They've been pulling out of the inner city and going to the outskirts of the city. That's why I love the fact that when I GPS your church, it was right next to Oval Park. You're in the city of Corinth. You're in the very center of it all. You're not out there in the outskirts out there where there's a field in the back or whatever. There's a vineyard. You guys are right in the very center. You guys are, in a, in a sense, a Corinthian church, in a sense. I pray it's not in a way that these guys, they were acting very immature. But the Corinthian church was a very strategic place, and I believe that Praise Chapel was in a very strategic place. But Paul is saying this, and I believe he's saying this to you. He says, now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, starting at verse 1. Who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. He says, I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as we walked according to the flesh. In other words, what he's saying is he's he's saying this. He says, listen, I know I write letters and I'm bold to you. I'm strong. I, I, I come at you really strong. He goes, but I do that so I don't have to go visit and have to be strong. He goes, I'm trying to show you something. I'm trying to walk you through something. In verse 3, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Just pause there for a minute. To pull down strongholds. Let me stretch and pull these out. What's a stronghold? It's an obstacle. It's something that limits you. It's, it's, it's a reminder that they are there. It's, it's there to intimidate you. What do you think ISIS is doing in Iraq right now? They're sweeping through, putting strongholds to remind the people who's in control. That's what the enemy does. Who do you think gives ISIS the ideas? It's not God. So it's, it's funny because... A lot of times people don't understand how the enemy works. How does Satan work? How does he do it? All you got to do is, is watch the empires of this world, the nations of this world, the armies of this world, see how they strategize, and it will show you exactly how the enemy does it. 
Because the enemy is, uh, the, the people that are not serving God are a direct reflection of their father, which is Satan. If we are Christians and we serve Christ, we should be a direct reflection of Christ. You have no light, I have no light, we only reflect the light. Same as the moon. If the sun weren't shining, the moon would not have light. Same as us. If God were not shining upon us, then nobody's going to see light in us. Well, it's the same way. Satan is the same way. You want to know how the enemy operates? All you got to do is open your eyes, open your ears, watch the news, and you will see how the enemy operates. But Paul is telling them, look, we're not walking according to the flesh. We can't fight the way we used to fight. We can't be aggressive the way we used to be aggressive. And people have taken that wrong and Christians have taken it wrong and said, well, I used to be aggressive and now I'm a Christian, so, so, so now I just got to be quiet. Now I got to just sit around. Now I got to not do nothing. God is calling you to fight. God is calling you to pick up your sword. God is calling you to attack. So I, don't know, I don't understand where the belief goes that people think because we're Christians that we're supposed to just stay back and just defend and defend and defend. We're not created to be on the, on the defense. We're created to be the offense. What does the Bible say? Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So Praise Chapel is not here just to bring Christians in and, and just keep them safe because the enemy's all around attacking. We are called because this is the enemy's, this is our, uh, the Lord's encampment, and we're supposed to send people out to just completely demolish and break down the strongholds of the enemy. You know, I use the word demolish because a lot of times people just want to get through the enemy strongholds. I don't want to get through the enemy strongholds. I want to completely dismantle them and break them. It's one thing to say, you know what, I'm going to save that person in my family. I'm going to save this family person or this person that, that, that is doing this or that's doing that. We're going to run in there and save them and bring them back to, to Praise Chapel before we get killed. No, we're going to go out there and dismantle the enemy strongholds. It's time. It's time. I want to demolish. It's as though we walk in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And then it gives us an example of how we do that. It said, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. See, this verse takes it home. I'll tell you why. A lot of times we come to church and we think, okay, I got, I'm serving God, so now i got to attack Oval Park. i got to attack this neighborhood or that neighborhood or my family or this and that. But in here it says bring the thoughts into subjection first. Deal with yourself. That's the thing that many Christians miss is we have to deal with the strongholds within our own self before we deal with the strongholds out there. That's what happens. That's what happens is, is if we're a house... There's, there's, let's say, a two-bedroom house, a living room, a hallway, uh, an entryway. We invite, we come up to the, the altar, we accept Christ, we're crying, everything. We're like, Christ, we accept you, come in. And we let him in to the foyer, and that's it. So we leave strongholds. We leave the mess in the bedroom. We leave the mess in the closet. We leave the mess in the bathroom. 
And we're like, Jesus, come in, come in. The living room is clean, so you can sit all you want. Here, here's a remote. Here, watch whatever you want. Jesus, do whatever you want. And, you know, um, when I'm going to do things I don't want you to see, I'm going to go to my bedroom and do it. I'm going to go to my closet and do it. I'm going to go to the, 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 the garage and do it. But, man, this is you. Oh, you want to change the couches? Go ahead. And Jesus is like, no, I want the keys. I want the keys. So then we get Christians that are constantly stumbling and falling in their walk, and they don't know what they're doing. They're backsliding. They're not backsliding. They come to church for three months, and they don't for two months, and everything seems to go wrong. I'm going to tell you right now, it's because of this. You have not let him into the house and gave him the keys. Because he has to destroy and dismantle the strongholds in your, in your life. When I meet a Christian that is always, I'm not saying, see, Christians are, <laughs> we're not perfect. We don't walk on water. But when you see a pattern of a believer constantly stumbling and falling, most likely it will be somebody that hasn't gave Jesus the keys to every single room. And, and, and this, is, this is the thing. This is what Jesus, this is what Peter didn't understand when Jesus wanted to wash his feet. Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus, what does Jesus say? He goes, listen, unless I wash your feet, you can't have no part of me. He goes, in other words, Jesus was saying this, Peter, I got to wash every single filthy part of you. And the most filthy part is between your toes. If that's what I got to do, then that's what I got to do. When we come to Christ, we're like this. We're like saying, Jesus, I got some stuff that I'm really embarrassed about. I got stuff that is just grimy. It's embarrassing. And I don't know what to do. And he says, unless I clean that, I can't use you. That's why we come to Christ and we're like, man, I give myself away. That's what the song says. That's what it means. I give myself away so you can use me. Clean all of me. Clean everything of me. I'm so embarrassed of it, but you already knew I did it, Lord. But I need you to clean it because I want to be used for you. I want to be used by you. But many people, we come to Christ, we never do that. We never do that. So we struggle. Our whole Christian walk, 20 years, 30 years, we struggle. Never did nothing. Yeah, we tithed. Yeah, we took up a chair in the church. But what did we really do? All we did was struggle with our own strongholds that we never conquered. Because we never got down to this verse where it says the very beginning, we don't fight, walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, remember destroying them, casting down arguments and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So that's where the spiritual war starts. Before we can, if I tell you, before we can start to see movement in the city, before we can see revival in the city, let's deal with our own strongholds first. Let God allow to come in. Just say, Jesus, I got stuff in, stuffed in my closet I don't even remember. There's stuff that's just all twisted. You know, you open the closet and everything falls out. You ever want to like, not start your garage because you're like, I don't know where to start. There's just so much stuff. I know the garage needs to be cleaned out, but I don't even know where to start. But you know what? I dare you to allow Jesus to do it. He knows where to start. He knows where to finish. Amen. So to demolish the strongholds is to pull them down, is to tear them down, to destroy them, to flatten them, to bulldoze them, to forcefully tear it down. See, Jesus is not, Paul is not saying here, okay, 
You're going to be mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. That means just going to church, staying there, having a smile, uh, you know, having some, uh, you know, barbecue sometimes. As much as we love barbecue. No. When he says God, it's our weapon, our warfare, not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. That verse is basically saying you got to be active. You know, there was a saying when I used to roll in the streets and it'd be like, man, are you an active homie or what? Right? Because there ain't no such thing as a homie unless you're an active homie. You got to be fully active. Same thing when you hit the prison yard. Same thing when you go to jail. You got to be active. All of a sudden, we come to Christianity, and we don't. We just want to just sit around. Man, you were active for the devil. We can't be active for Jesus. You know, people tell me, "Oh man, aren't you afraid to go speak to all these cities?" You used to be like this Nortenio and this and that, and you go to all these cities, and man, what if somebody does something to you? And I'm like, what if somebody could have done something to me before Christ? I wasn't scared. All of a sudden, I'm putting in work here, putting in work there. What, now I can't put in work for Jesus? At least now I know where I'm going. You know, Daniel, so many people go to the book of Daniel. How many people have a prayer that hasn't been answered yet? Okay. And we quickly go to Daniel. And I, I like that example. I'm not saying not to use that example. But Daniel prayed a prayer. And it took 21 days to get an answer. I've used that context in my life also. I've prayed for things. You know, I got out of prison in 2010. I did six years in federal prison from 2004 to 2010. And... um, up until a few, two months, three months ago, um, I didn't have my son, and now I have him all the time. It, it took four years to get that prayer answered. And so I could have easily, in the, you know, say, man, I was like, Daniel, I prayed this prayer, but it took a while for the answer to get to me. Because Daniel prayed a prayer, and an angel shows up, 21, and an angel basically says, listen, we got your prayer 21 days ago, but I was fighting against the enemy to bring it to you. Okay. I believe that's true. I remember my friend, John Ramirez, he's, out, he's an evangelist out of New York. He was very much in, into witchcraft. He was a warlock into Santeria. And he was in, he, you might have seen his story in, on CBN, 700 Club. We became friends. And he told me something interesting. He said, you know, there's like a, there's like the earth, and then there's this realm, this spiritual realm that the spirits travel through. And then there's heaven. He goes, so in a sense, in a spiritual sense, those prayers, those things have to run through that realm of the spirit to get to the earth. I thought that was an interesting way. It's not in the Bible or nothing. It's just what he was telling me. You know, so sometimes we hear things out. We got to be like Bereans. The Bible says be like a Berean. In other words, take it to the word. Okay. I didn't see anything against that. So I'm like, oh, that's an interesting concept. And he says, yeah. He goes, because what we, I would do, he would have, um, I can't remember what it's called, but they come out of their body and they travel. Yeah, astral, pro, astral projection. He said he would do that over in New York. And he would, 
he said the demons, he had two demons assigned to him that would do things that he wanted. And he would go over the five boroughs of New York throwing curses down into the city, throwing curses into the neighborhood. What I thought was interesting that he said he came across one section and he threw curses and it couldn't, it wouldn't go, it wouldn't go. And he's like, what is this? And he saw a circle of believers praying. He said, he got angry. He goes, I couldn't penetrate through that neighborhood because there was people praying for it. And I'm just like, wow, that was a revelation to me. Because, you know, all the time we hear, man, you got to pray over your children. You got to pray over your family. You got to pray over this. How many times do we hear you got to pray over your city? You got to pray over your neighborhood. I, didn't, I, I, I honestly thought, and I used to say that. And almost, almost, you know, sometimes pastors, we don't got it all perfect. I honestly, in a sense, I took it as cliche. You got to pray for your city until I talked to him. And he says, no, brother. He goes, you don't understand. He goes, unless somebody is praying for that city or that neighborhood, there's nothing that's going to happen. He goes, you got to go in there with spiritual warfare and you begin to battle against the enemy. Not battling like this. Not like, oh, God, have mercy on Visalia. God, you know, just come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. No, he's saying battle. In the name of Jesus, I command the spirit of addiction to leave the city of Visalia right now. The spirit of gang warfare, I command it to leave in the name of Jesus right now. By the blood of Jesus Christ, there was nothing that can stop the gospel. There was nothing that can stop Jesus. Enemy, if you're hearing me, because I know you are, you better start shaking in your boots, tie your boots up and leave because that's it. It's done. We do warfare against the enemy. Warfare against the enemy. Imagine getting in an argument or a fight when you're in the world, right? You're not, hopefully you're not fighting now. And remember when you were kids and a um, bigger kid or something? And you're like, well, I'll call my big brother to beat you up. That's in a sense that what's what we do. We're fighting against the enemy, and we're like, uh, I'm going to get my pastor on you. I'm going to get Jesus on you. I'm going to get him on you. And Jesus is saying, listen, I have given you the authority. You have the authority. You have the authority. So this is why I bring up Daniel. So you don't think I'm all scatterbrained over here. This is why I bring up Daniel. How many all agree that Daniel was a great prophet? We all agree. He's in the Bible. He made it. He's in the Bible, used by God. He, was, he would interpret dreams. They threw him in a lion's den, and the lions didn't eat him. Can you imagine that? That's scary. I don't want to be in a pit bull den, <laughs> much less a lion. Have you ever seen a lion? Have you ever heard them roar in the zoo? Man, it shakes your chest when they roar. It shakes every fiber of you. I remember I was in San Francisco Zoo, and I was there, and a lion roared, and I was just like, oh, wow. It was insane. I was like, and the first thing, thing I thought was, how did Daniel not die of a heart attack? <laughs> but they put him in the lion's den, and, 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 and God protected him, shut the mouths of the lions. So we could all agree that Daniel was a great man of God, a prophet. Okay. Listen when I say this. You have something greater than Daniel in you. You have something greater than Daniel. 
Because you know what? They can throw you in a den of devils, and God will shut their mouth. This is why I say this. I'm not just saying this for any reason. I'm going to take it to the Bible. Daniel was before the cross. You were after the cross. After the cross, Jesus says, I took the keys of Hades and of death. And I have all authority and I give the church my authority. I want you to go out and cast out devils and take dominion. Jesus said that. Jesus didn't tell that to Daniel. Daniel had to go and and send this prayer and wait for an answer to come back. And I'm telling you, the answer is already within you if you have Christ in you. Think about that. The resurrected Christ that rose again, that rose again after three days. His, His body was ripped to shreds, bleeding, cut, thorns, everything. That person, that spirit, the spirit of Jesus lives inside of you. That means the resurrector lives in you. That means the healer lives in you. That means the redeemer lives in you. That means the savior lives in you. You don't have to walk around like Daniel and say, man, I'm going to send a prayer and see when it comes back, the prayer's already in you. How do I know that? Ephesians 1.3 says, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. You have, <laughs> everything that is Christ is already in you. Everything. In James, it says that even the demons tremble. The Bible says that he was, uh, he was going across in a boat, and they landed in the tombstones, and there was a man there full of demons, and I love this story so much, because it's, it's like Jesus gets off the boat, and as soon as he hits land, boom, first foot, the man starts screaming. He says, why are you here? You're here to torment me before my time. What did I do to you? It wasn't the man saying it. It was the demons inside of him. They feared Jesus. As soon as Jesus stepped on the land, the demons in him began to tremble and say, why are you here before our time to torment us before our time? Okay. If the demons trembled then, when Jesus stepped on the scene, and Jesus lives in you through the Holy Spirit. And you walk into Oval Park, why shouldn't demons tremble? If you walk into the neighborhoods, why shouldn't demons tremble? If you walk into any place, you don't have to beg God for anything because he is already there in you. Ephesians 1.3, like I said, he's blessed you with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's in you, all powerful. Everywhere you step on a scene, demons should tremble. Here's the thing, though. The devil knows that ain't going to happen if you don't know that. Imagine you not knowing the law, you having a house. You rent that house out, somebody comes in, they destroy the house. And you come in, they've been there for a few years, you come, hey, you got to leave. You're messing up the walls, you're messing up everything in this house, you got to leave person says, I ain't leaving, make me. Imagine the guy's like really big and buff. Make me. You're like, uh, I'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back. You come back, bring some other guys with you, not realizing the whole house is full of buff guys. Make us leave. Imagine if you didn't know the law that you can actually go 
and have the sheriffs go and serve them papers. It's an eviction notice. Posted on the thing. Posted on the door. Big buff guy comes. It's all right, because the 38 special will take him out. The sheriff says, listen, you got 20 minutes to pack your stuff and go. He's not tough. What's tough that makes him? That pistol and the badge. In other words, he's saying, listen, I'm here alone, but I'm represented by the state of California, and you got to leave. I don't care how buff you are. I don't care about your friends, your homies, whatever. It doesn't matter. you got to leave. Okay. Until we get this understanding, we will never win over Visalia. This understanding of this is that pistol is the word of God. And the badge is the Holy Spirit, that the entire kingdom of God is behind you. Not the state of California, not the FBI or the feds. The very kingdom of God is backing you up when you wear that badge. So you knock on Visalia, you knock on the sick person, you knock on the person that needs healing or whatever. You say, you know what, I'm serving an eviction notice. You got to leave. Demon says, yeah, what are are you going to do? I'm not going to do nothing, but you know what? The one that gave me this badge is going to do something. He has all authority. Matter of fact, you have no right to be in this house. You got to leave. Spirit of cancer, you got to leave. Spirit of sickness, you got to leave. Spirit of addiction, you got to leave. I'm not taking no for an answer. The price was paid for 2,000 years ago. You got to get this in, in the very fiber of your spirit. And then when you do, you're going to see the miraculous happen. It took me a long time to realize that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. I haven't even looked at my notes. What do I got here? <laughs> okay. Oh, that's good. All right. <laughs> All right. All I wrote was Braveheart. But have you seen that movie Braveheart? It's Mel Gibson. I think in England, is it uh, the Irish or Scottish? And um, basically they want freedom from Britain. Britain was treating them bad. Britain had them oppressed. And Braveheart, uh, it was William Wallace, I believe, started rising up from the people. Um, he went to try to get the aristocrats, the people that... Because back then, it's like you were either... You had king, uh, blood of a king or royal blood or not. You couldn't just be a nobody and become somebody. Back then, you were either, either an aristocrat or you were just a peasant. You are poor. Braveheart was just a poor man, just a regular guy, William Wallace. And it was interesting because... He says, we got to fight against Britain. we got to fight against this force. we got to fight against it. How am I going to do it? And his friend said, oh, and he says, you know, where do I find the roughest, toughest guys? And, and then it's funny because in a the movie, they go to this bar. And it was these guys, some of them were illiterate. I mean, these are just some rough guys. Remember that part in the movie? And uh, what's interesting to me is that he got... The rejected. He got the people that nobody cared about. He went and picked different people. And it reminded me, in a sense, what Jesus did. Jesus didn't go look for the smartest people to become the apostles. He looked for fishermen. He looked for regular people. And and the Bible says that he had all these people that were just following him, that were just simple folks, simple people. You know, I don't see anybody here with the Rolls Royce. I don't see anybody here. You know what I mean? We're just regular people, right? 
You know, we're just regular people. And when I see what, when I see that story of Braveheart and the fact that he got these ragtag soldiers and made them into something, and because of that, they were able, they were able to come against the superior force. And Jesus comes and does the same thing, but even greater. He says, you know, I'm going to pick some tore up 12 people, and with them I'm going to show the world that I'm going to turn the world right side up. With 12 people. Think about that. 12 people turn the entire world right side up. You're telling me 12 people can't turn Visalia right side up. Come on. You got the same Holy Spirit that Peter did. You got the same Holy Spirit that Paul did. You got the same Holy Spirit that Matthew did. You got the same Holy Spirit that they did. The same thing. It doesn't get diluted as the years come. The Bible says I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Right? So the same Holy Spirit that was leading Paul, the same Holy Spirit that was leading these men and women of God are in the same Holy Spirit's in us now. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. Ephesians 4.17 says this. He was this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the fertility of their mind. So in other words, this is why I'm saying this. If we're going to demolish the stronghold of the enemy, first we've got to hit the strongholds in our own life. We've got to just basically say, Jesus, you need to come into every room. You need to clean this stuff up. I mean, just deal with it now. Why carry it? Why, 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 why have him your guest and not the owner with, you know, with his name on the deed? The longer you take, the longer you're going to suffer. You, yeah, you'll make it to heaven, but you're going to have a hard Christian walk. Do you want to have a hard Christian walk? Or do you want to have a Christian walk full of power and glory? So just get it over with. And be like, Jesus, man, these strongholds, these things that maybe my congregation doesn't know, maybe my own spouse doesn't know, God, I give it to you, Lord, because I want to be used by you completely. And I want, to, I want to affect my family. I want to affect my workplace. I want to affect the city and my community, but I can't. I need you to deal with me first. Now let's get, let's get past that. That's why he says here, you no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In the fertility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Because you can't walk around like you did before you weren't saved. You don't have no excuse. You have Jesus now. You can't walk around blind. You can't walk around ignorant. You can't walk around with your heart completely blind. It says, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness. To work all uncleanness with greediness. He was, but you have not so learned Christ. He was, if you're still walking in the world, if you're still thinking the way you used to think, if you haven't brought those thoughts into subjection, do you even have Christ? That's what Paul is saying. Do you even have Christ? Because it says in 21, if indeed you have heard him. Remember, he says, What does he say? My sheep. Hear my voice. He was, if you have really heard his voice and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning, concerning your former conduct, your old person, take it off. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and instead be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man or the new woman which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. He says, listen, 
We got to deal with ourselves. We got to understand our authority. And we got to understand that we can't deal with things the way we used to. We got to put that stuff away. We got to put on Christ. We got to take the zipper off the old man. Take this old thing off. You get buried. I mean, I, I tell people that um, they're like, well, I have had people ask me, what, is Sir Dino going to do this or do that? I said, Sir Dino's dead, man. I said, I, I, he died. He got, he drowned. They're like, what do you mean he drowned? I said, yeah, when I got baptized. You know, it's a trip because I accepted Christ 15 months before I got baptized. I was saved, redeemed, made a new person. But it's like in a spiritual way, when I came out of the water, all that stuff washed off of me that was already forgiven. And Sir Dino stayed there. And he can stay there forever. But we have to become this new person. We have to, or else we can't do anything. You know, I've gone, I remember a few months ago, I was, I was asked to preach or to say testimony in Hollister. And um, usually, usually the pastors get death threats for me, and they don't tell me until after when we're eating and laughing. They're like, oh, by the way, a few people said they're going to come shoot you, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, thanks for telling me after, you know what I mean? But it's funny, because in Hollister, we went, we, we went to Denny's, and um, I, I told the pastor, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I said, I, I felt like something bad was going to happen. I said, I woke up with it that morning. I said, this morning, I woke up as I was heading, it was a night it was at night service, so I was able to drive out there. And I remember driving, and I'm just like, Lord, what is this I'm feeling? You know, it just felt like something, something bad. And um, I said, you know, and I got there, and, I mean, everything was fine. And the pastor was like, you know what? He was, well, and he looks at his wife, should we tell him? <laughs> and uh, so they, they're like, wow, for reals, you felt something bad? And then the pastor goes, yeah, because those two churches that, that got together to do this event. They had some Christian rappers there and some dancers there, and then they had me give testimony. What happened was, a week before, the pastor got very restless. He got very, very restless, you know, and, and he started feeling like, man, I don't know, I don't know, something's wrong. He didn't want to tell his wife. The wife had a dream a week before that I was preaching, and somebody came in and, and shot me. She was scared to tell her husband. The other pastor had the same dream the same night. All three of them didn't want to tell each other because <laughs> they didn't want, you know, they had already put flyers out. They had already, everything was done, you know what I mean? And uh, they're like, man, what do we do? So finally the wife couldn't take it and she tells her husband, she goes, I got to tell you, I had this dream and, you know, told him the dream. And he goes, you know what, I got to tell you, I've had this restlessness in my spirit. So um, the pastor he says, you know what, maybe I should cancel. Maybe I don't want nothing to happen to Pastor David. Maybe I should cancel. And he goes, well, he goes, no. He goes, you know what, call the men of the church. And they got, to, they got together to the church, and they circled the church and started praying. 
And they started walking through the neighborhood right there. It was literally in the middle of a Norteño neighborhood. And they started walking through the neighborhood in the parking lot, started praying. They started praying in the spirit, fighting in the spirit. And as he was walking, he said, David, he goes, I have been serving God for 20-something years. And it's only a couple times I've heard the voice of God distinctively heard his voice. And, and as I was walking and I was worried and I was praying, he was, I heard him say, don't worry. David is mine and I'm sending him there. And when he goes and everywhere I send him, he dismantles the strongholds of the enemy. And when he told me that, it humbled me. Because I'm like, man, I'm just a simple man. I'm just an ex-con. I'm just an ex-gangbanger. You know what I mean? I, are you sure God wasn't talking about somebody else? He says, no, brother. He goes, man, he, goes, I, he has never spoken to me only a couple of times like that. And he said that when you go, you just completely dismantle and the quake, there's a quaking in the spirit. And I was just like, he goes, so just wear it, brother. I'm like, well, that's a heavy thing to wear. You know, and I say that to say this, is I truly believe, oh, I'm not even finished with the story yet. That night, okay, there was an altar call, and people came, and uh, there was a few people that were, guy had back pain for I don't know how many years, prayed for him, boom, it went away. Another person, their, their knee was hurting, bam, went away. The pastor's son, he had been stabbed. Um, there was a chunk missing. I guess they were going to stab his face, and he went like that, and it, it was a big old knife, and it, I guess there's nerves here. And he could no longer do this. He comes up for prayer. It's one thing to pray for somebody's back pain, somebody's knee pain. Pastor's son, everybody knows him. Everybody knows he can't do this. And he's like, I want you to pray for healing. No, no, no. He didn't even ask for healing. He said, I want you to pray that it doesn't hurt. I said, all right. I said, you can't close it? I said, we're going to pray that you close it. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. The nerves are gone. There's no nerve. There's no nerve to close it. I said, well, we're going to pray for healing so your hand closes. You know what I mean? So I prayed, and I said, close your hand. And he was like this. You know, and he looks at his mom. <laughs> he looks at me confused, like, what did you just do? It was amazing, right? So after that point, obviously, the faith rises. Faith rises in the church. All of a sudden, people that didn't want to come up with anybody, anybody is, is sick or hurt, all of a sudden, people started coming. People started getting, you know, just touched by God. And this young man comes up. And he comes up to me, and he goes, he goes, I hated you. He goes, I hated you so I hated you with everything. He goes, I wanted to do something to you. He goes, I'm sorry. And he just started, he broke down and cried. He accepted Christ right then and there. Spiritual warfare was done on that young man. That young, that young man might have had plans a month before, a week before. That very hour he might have had plans. But the power of the Holy Ghost got a hold of him. 
the power of the Holy Ghost can touch your loved one, can touch your family, can touch the one that's lost, the one you think right now in your family, that person is lost. There's no way, there's no way that person's going to become the Christ. There's no way it's impossible. Your son, your daughter, your father, your brother, your sister, whoever it is, I don't care who it is, the power of the Holy Spirit is stronger than that addiction. That power of the Holy Spirit is stronger than whatever has a hold of that person. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, I'm not telling you what I'm telling you, I'm telling you what the word says. That he has taken the keys of Hades and of death and he has all authority. Jesus says, I have all authority. He says, he gives it to the church. You have that authority now. Start to speak it out, start to claim it. Don't start to beg for it. Don't start to ask for it. You tell it to leave. You tell it to leave. I grew up in a Christian home. My mother prayed for me when she caught me with a gun. She prayed for me when she caught me selling dope. She prayed for me when she found my triple beams. She prayed for me when I got locked up the first time. She prayed for me when I left my wife over adultery. She prayed for me. And what happened? At 32 years old, God broke me down. Might have took a long time. Maybe it took longer than 21 days like Daniel. But nevertheless, the will of God will be done. So what happens now? My parents sit in my congregation. My brother, who was also gangbanging, today is preaching in my church as a pastor. My other brother that was hooked on meth for over 20 years sits in my congregation. For one period of time, all of my brothers, my, my mother's sons, were just completely lost. And now we sit in the same congregation worshiping the one true God. So I just want to wrap this up and just say that whatever, whether you knew who I was or whether you don't, I, I, I've traveled and done concerts, autograph signings, been in movies, many CDs, many things, many accomplishments. But I'll say this to you and to whoever watches this on YouTube, that I count, like Paul, that as garbage compared to having Christ. Compared to having Christ. There is something about Jesus that just breaks the hardest heart. There's something about Jesus that somehow he gets the million shattered pieces of our lives, and I don't know how he puts them back together. And sometimes we think, man, I'm too broken, Jesus. I'm too shattered. And he says, man, I like it when you're most broken. I like it when you're the most shattered. Because when I put you together, you will always give me the glory. You will always worship me. You will never think you did it out of yourself, out of your education, out of your upbringing. You will always tell people, man, I was broken, I was shattered, but Jesus came into my life. And that's what I think everybody here has. Praise Chapel, this is what you can do. is say, man, we're a bunch of broken pieces we're a bunch of shattered, I'm a shattered woman, I'm a shattered man. We don't have a perfect church, we don't have a perfect pastor, we don't have all these nice big sound system and choirs, but we have a perfect God. We have something that's a perfect answer. I'm very much against people exalting ministry, exalting their church name, exalting themselves. There's only one to be exalted. Isaiah says that God says, I will give my glory and share it with nobody. So I take that, I take that, and I just exalt Jesus. That's all we're called to do is exalt Jesus. If we could all please stand.
you were literally being attacked in your neighborhood, in your home, imagine if people every day came by throwing rocks at your house. Every day, every time your kids came home from school, they were mugged or beat up, had their lunch money taken. Every single time you went out to your car, your tires were slashed. Um, at what point would you say, man, I'm going to do something about it? I want to set you free today and say this, as Christians, it is, he's not calling you to lay down your arms. He's calling you to lay down the arms of this world and to pick up the arms of heaven, to pick up the spiritual arms. He's not calling you men to be feminine. He's not calling you men to be punks now. He's not calling you men to be sissies and wimps. He's calling you to stand up and be men of God and women of God. To say, you know what? It is time that I will not lay down and let the enemy come and throw rocks at my children. I will not stand down and let the enemy come and take every take the inheritance that my, I've given to my children. You are called to fight for your family. You are called to fight for your loved ones. You're called to fight for your church. You're called to fight for each other. Now is the time. Christianity is being attacked. Right now, Christians are being beheaded. You know what I just heard? I heard that there's a great revival happening in Iraq. I heard that people are starting to come to Christ. The more they cut heads off, the more people are accepting him. You cannot stop the gospel. What did Jesus say? I am the way. I'm the truth and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life church stand up remember this is your encampment this is not it this is where you come this is where you gather and this is where you go out and you save more and bring more and and heal more and 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 bring more to christ i pray that very very soon you i don't know you said you meet somewhere else but you won't even fit here i say that in jesus name I see great things for Praise Chapel. I really do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm very much attracted to Praise Chapel. You guys have a beautiful ministry. I love you guys. I love you guys before I even knew you. Just from when I saw Pastor James and, and Pastor Ralph, there's a great thing happening in your ministry. There's a great thing happening in your city. Lord God, I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray for every single person that's here, whether they're praise chapel or visiting, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that a fire is ignited inside of them, Lord God. A fire that maybe it wasn't lit or or maybe it it stopped being lit or maybe it needed to be a double portion, Lord God, of light, Lord, a fire, Lord God. You have called us to be dunamis, to be dynamite, to destroy the strongholds of the enemy, Lord God. And we will no longer lay down. We will attack and we will go forward. We will not be on the defense. We will be on the offense. Why? Because you have given us that authority, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. You didn't send us out just empty-handed, Lord God. You sent us out fully equipped. Fully equipped to do damage. Not the damage of this world the way the world is damaged. But to completely dismantle anything of stronghold of the enemy, Lord. We thank you, Lord. I pray for this church. 
I pray for every single person here, Lord God, for your anointing, Lord God, just to pour out, Lord God, in the city of Visalia. I pray for the city of Visalia, Lord God. I pray for the lost souls that are out there against the spirit of addiction, against the spirit of gangs, against the spirit of depression and suicide. I come against it in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord God. It is your name that's above all names. All those spirits need to bow down to your name, Lord God. It is you that's exalted, Lord God. Your glory will be shown, Lord God, because you will not share your glory with no one, Lord God. You are king. You are king here, and you reign here. We are taking back, Lord God. We're taking it back the way King David saw Jerusalem and said, those Jebusites are there, but I got to go in and take it. And we will call it the city of God. In the same way, Visalia is filled with Jebusites, with the enemy, and we will take it and call it the city of God in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that, that this city will have a nickname, the city of God. That it will carry that nickname in the coming years, Lord, in the name of Jesus. That people will say, man, that's that place they call the city of God. I don't know what happened there. Just something, there was an outpouring there. I don't know what happened. But I heard it was this little church, praise chapel. I heard that they just loved God. They loved you, Lord. And you just did something awesome in their lives, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for the, the children here, Lord God. Or the, those, those, those of us that are parents, I pray for our children, Lord. For chains to be broken. Cuffs to be broken. Strongholds to be broken. In Jesus' mighty name.